Welcome to Party Like a Marketer, the podcast dedicated to cannabis marketing, public relations, and authentic storytelling. I'm your host, Lisa Buffo, founder and CEO of the Cannabis Marketing Association. You can connect with me on Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn. Send me a message. I'd love to hear from you. Today's conversation features Bethany Gomez, the co-founder and managing director at Brightfield Group. Bethany has established herself as a trailblazer in emerging markets with a focus on cannabis, CBD, and wellness. As managing director and co-founder, Bethany's commitment to leadership and storytelling through meaningful data has positioned the company as an industry leader, playing a crucial role in shaping the cannabis, CBD, and wellness industries from both a consumer and market perspective. She has been featured and quoted in numerous media outlets, including the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, CNN, Bloomberg, Yahoo Finance, and more. Bethany, thank you so much for joining us and welcome to the show. Absolutely. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks, Lisa. Yes. So for our guests, can you tell them a little bit about yourself? What brought you to cannabis? What is your role at Brightfield Group? And then tell us a little bit about Brightfield as well. What's Brightfield's focus and what's the role that Brightfield plays in the industry? Absolutely. Well, prior to to starting in the cannabis space, um, my background was in mainstream CPG market research, which really focusing in on um, emerging markets. So I used to cover um, crazy, rapidly moving um, markets in places like Mexico and Latin America, um, looking at food, bev, supplements, um, you know, a lot of the Uh, adjacent categories to cannabis. Um, Back in 2015, I helped to co-found the company um, with our our CEO, Patrick Hayden. Um, And, you know, we really saw at that time, you know, for those of you who have been in cannabis for for quite a while, um, cannabis was a very emerging market, especially at that time, um, still is. And um, so as we kind of first started the the company, uh, we really, I really wanted to apply a lot of the, the same uh, methodologies and the same approach to um, looking at the cannabis market to really measure what's really hard to measure um, and be able to uh, really understand this um, crazy, rapidly emo- emerging market um, in a great deal of depth. So that was kind of the the impetus, um, you know, for me getting into this. Um, we first started Brightfield again back in 2015, and you know, at the time, um, we really launched the company looking in. Um, how, where's the market today and how is it, where is it moving? Um, It became pretty clear early on that this was, uh, what was really going to move the market in cannabis was going to be the consumer. Um, you know, who is that consumer? How is that evolving? Um, being able to look at the evolution of an illicit market into a legal market, um, you know, the future and the success of this was always going to, you know, really kind of come down to that consumer. So we wanted to be able to understand that consumer um, in a great deal of depth. So that's really what we do. You know, at the core of what we do, we're kind of consumer obsessed at Brightfield. Um, you know, we do a great deal of consumer surveys. Um, we also integrate those surveys directly with social listening. Um, We use social listening in a lot of different ways to help, you know, really bolster and understand and get a lot of, you know, qualitative insights on what's, um, what the cannabis consumers are thinking um, and, you know, be able to use that as, you know, supplements for um, the deeper dive consumer surveys um, and um, what we've launched more recently, um, which is um, brand health work. Um, so this has given us the ability to um, work really closely with um, a lot of the top marketers in the space um, over the last, you know, five to seven years here um, and be able to, you know, really see um, not only the evolution of the cannabis consumer, but how they are reacting to brands in this rapidly emerging market. That's awesome. So you're bringing CPG best practices as far as this consumer research and market research to cannabis. Can you speak a little bit about what were some of those industries um, or products specifically before you started Brightfield Group? You said you had mentioned Mexico, like that were related or adjacent to cannabis. What were those? Yeah, so I used to cover um, packaged foods, drinks, alcohol, tobacco, um, even things like you know uh, retail consumer food service and things like that. So in the uh, as well as the um, uh, like OTC healthcare market, supplements market, and things of that nature. So they all really have some level of touch points um, into the cannabis space, and um, you know health and wellness products as they fit into those um, you know food and bev markets. And you know one thing that I found from looking at um, you know working on emerging markets, especially in a place like Mexico, where you, you're never going to have one magical data source that's going to answer all of your questions, um, because the market is so 
fragmented, so fast moving, um, you know, as well as, you know, just include so many informal channels um, that, you know, the traditional methods of market research fall flat in a lot of different ways. So you have to really be creative about the way that you're thinking about methodologies um, to really understand, you know, and get a full view of the consumer. So, you know, while we're looking at this through the same lens, you know, we applied a lot of these best practices from CPG, we also really had to be really creative early on to understand um, and, you know, apply um, to be creative about uh, capturing data where consumer patterns are not as established as they are in CPG. You know, while cannabis, you know, you hear all the time that, you know, cannabis is a CPG industry and it's becoming a CPG industry. And while it is becoming a CPG industry and, you know, it's well on its way right now, there's a lot of nuances to that. Um, and there's a lot of areas where it's, you know, it's, it differs from CPG and you have to really understand these, um, you know, these very fast moving and nuanced nature of the market. So this is where we took kind of some of the standard, you know, CPG methodology in terms of things like, um, you know, survey research with very strong, robust sample sizes, but also had to be really creative to like understand, um, you know, those consumers in a lot more depth and be able to be really scrappy um, to provide the level of depth that our clients are going to want at you know, quite frankly, startup level budgets, right? Um, you know, cannabis, you know, in 2015, there was not a company in this industry that had, you know, the kinds of budgets that people would expect in, you know, CPG. Um, and still today, most of the companies operating in this space need to be scrappy. They need to be a lot more, um, you know, agile than, you know, the big CPG companies. So, you know, we always looked at it as, you know, we want to be able to apply, you know, the rigor that you can see um, or the, um, the level of, um, you know, the level of seriousness to our data and the, um, you know, the, the backbones of our data that you would get from a CPG space, but be able to really adjust our strategies um, to be able to work in this market um, to really understand um, the, the crazy emerging <laughs> cannabis consumer landscape as it is today and as it evolves, right? Yes, and I'm really glad you mentioned this creative approach to a fragmented data set and market, because I think that also applies on the individual business level and for the individual marketer, where uh, I talk with folks all the time on this podcast and in CMA, and it can often feel overwhelming where if it's not like you think about data very logically, like it should be very black and white and there's one right answer, but that's not the case in this space. And often things are separate and I just, I'm just so glad you mentioned about having a creative and nuanced approach to something that mm -hmm. if you're not data focused or that's your core competency, thinking that, oh, it has to be this one way um, yeah. and being able to glean insights from it that you can mm -hmm. then use and take action on as opposed to feeling like, okay, this doesn't, this isn't super black and white. So then I can't touch it at all. Mm -hmm. Or I'm operating off of perhaps even faulty assumptions is that that's not necessarily true. You just have to consider it. and be creative and, and do your best. So I just really appreciate that insight of that creative lens. Cause I think sometimes in these marketing conversations, it's like creativity is over here and data is over here. And that's not necessarily the case. Absolutely. I mean, I think we see, we've worked with a lot of folks who have, you know, come over from CPG straight into cannabis and, you know, a lot of them, you know, when they first come in, they're applying some of these same, you know, the same mindset as you have from CPG, which is good you know, that's what they were hired to do, but we have to really understand kind of a lot more of the nuances of the cannabis space and, you know, really embrace some of the messy and, you know, there, there's, you know, there aren't, things aren't always going to perform the, the way that you expect them to, or there's not always going to be those, you know, cold, hard, um, you know, lines in different directions, which is why it's so important to use things, you know, like, um, social listening or to, you know, really get into a lot of these attitudes and behaviors to really understand your consumers at their core, um, and really be able to pressure test a lot of your assumptions coming in. Um, you know, one thing we see, you know, have seen a lot of mistakes on in the, the cannabis space, um, you know, throughout is that people are oftentimes come in with their, their view on who they think the cannabis, you know, their consumer is, or who they think they should be marketing to. And they don't necessarily pressure test those assumptions or really try to like understand at that deeper level, whether that's 
actually going to connect with, you know, their consumers at the core, right? Um, there were a lot of, you know, movements early on to try to sanitize this to make it, you know, really appealing to a lot of, you know, people that had never tried, you know, a lot of the newbies, um, you know, the suburban moms and the, you know, baby boomers and a lot of, you know, consumers with a lot of, you know, ignoring some other, you know, the size and the sheer magnitude and the loyalty um, and just, um, you know, cultural, um, you know, affinity towards cannabis with this very large base over here, right? Yeah. <laughs> Chasing here when you can chase here and really understand how well these consumers could connect with your bit, you know, with your products while understanding that these, you know, consumers may not be quite as, you know, as ready yet. Or, you know, we've seen so many marketers that try to market to themselves, right? You know, they, they may be cannabis users and then they see themselves in this, you know, persona and try to just market to themselves. Um, and then, you know, not necessarily realize that their, their consumer is kind of at their core and some of the stuff that's a little bit mushy in data, um, you know, but comes through if you kind of get to know the attitudinal and the behavioral and a lot of the, um, you know, a lot of the, um, you know, the qualitative side of this, um, you know, they kind of miss those, those nuances and those differences um, about those consumers and why they're looking for these products, why they're using cannabis and what it means to them. Um, and so, you know, those, those areas are, are really what, you know, what really makes this industry tick, people are so passionate about cannabis. People, you know, use cannabis um, and it's a really important part of their life for many people um, or a really important part of, um, you know, of, of what they do, you know, of their identity even, or um, has a really important part of their wellness routines and, and being able to really understand kind of the, the nuances of that and, and feel free to meld kind of both the creative with the data and get the data to kind of talk to you um, is I think where we see the most success in marketers. So I, I want to get into the brand health and some of that data a little bit, but first I want to talk about some of the high level trends you've been seeing from 2015 to now, as far as the consumer. Yeah. So what, where were things when you started, where are things now, what's sort of the, the forest, and then we'll get into the, the trees a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. So we have seen some really significant shifts, um, both in, you know, the consumer itself, as though, as well as kind of the way that, you know, the market um, or marketers are looking at, you know, the, the cannabis consumer, you know, when, you know, the first brands first, you know, started launching large scale marketing efforts, there was a lot of this, you know, goal to, to target, you know, and a lot of money spent on targeting a lot of these, you know, new users, um, or people who might be can of curious, right. Um, and, you know, while there are cannabis is becoming more socially acceptable, and we're getting a lot of, you know, we are getting some new users, um, you know, into the category. Um, we see a lot of those newer users coming in as more occasional users or, um, you know, or medical users. Meanwhile, what we've seen is, you know, amongst this, uh, we've seen some incredible trends emerging amongst, um, you know, in generational shifts amongst Gen Z and younger millennial consumers. A lot of these consumers that have kind of come of age in an era of legal cannabis, right? And they, um, you know, while there's a lot of different consumer segments and personas within this and a lot of nuances within this, we see a lot of similarities here with, you know, these consumers that are really re completely rethinking their relationship with alcohol um, or thinking about alcohol in way different ways, you know, than, um, you know, than previous generations had really looking to cannabis in different ways, um, particularly women. This was, you know, back in 2015, this was a heavily male industry, a heavily male consumer segment. I mean, some of those first, you know, brands were, you know, had scantily clad women on their logos and, you know, were trying to, you know, really target kind of more of a bro crowd. And, you know, especially when you look at, you know, the consumer trends right now, Gen Z women are 
an incredible force that is driving, you know, consumer purchasing. And they're not necessarily looking at cannabis in the same way as a lot of people would project women to look at cannabis, right? You don't have to have, you know, this doesn't have to be, you know, necessarily girly products or, you know, conventionally girly products, um, but, you know, really understanding kind of what, what makes these consumers tick, um, you know, and, you know, there's, there are a lot of similarities be, um, beneath that, but a lot of people are really missing and kind of underestimating that, you know, the power of those Gen Z women. And, you know, there's only a few years worth of, um, you know, a few years worth of Gen Z women that are actually of age right now. Um, this is going to continue to evolve year over year over year and going to be uh, an even more impactful um, force in our um, in the cannabis industry and one that is you know is really underrepresented um, we there's been lots of other interesting trends we have seen um, some level of you know development of you know of um, baby boomers you know that have you know our we call them the boomerangs you know um, that are kind of coming back to cannabis now that it's legal for all of their aches and pains and things like that um, when one thing just anecdotally that was uh, really interesting to see was as soon as uh, uh, all of the boomers got their first vaccines. The percentage of um, baby boomers that were purchasing cannabis just shot through the roof. It was like they got their vax and went straight out to the dispensary. Nice. Um, it was kind of leveled out a bit there as well. Um, but, you know, really as well, we're seeing, you know, well, a lot of people predicted early on that there would be this, um, you know, this kind of mainstream nature, kind of sanitized nature of, you know, the cannabis industry. Um, what we're seeing right now, and this comes through in a lot of the, um, you know, some of the brand health data that we're seeing today as well, is that some of these brands that are really trying to resonate with these, you know, the cannabis culture um, and really trying to, you know, speak to people who are, um, you know, very, um, love cannabis that just really love cannabis are really passionate about their products and really kind of ring true to that kind of core heavy user um, are seeing some of the most success. And that's the last trend I would, you know, the two trends kind of um, wrapped in one that I'd highlight there, you know, the percentage of Americans that are using cannabis continues to climb. And the percentage of Americans that are heavy users of cannabis is really astronomical. You know, we now see that more than two thirds of cannabis consumers are using at least daily. Um, so this is a, a very large, robust, um, you know, percentage of the population um, that's using cannabis on a daily basis that is, you know, using really consistently and, um, you know, it's looking at this from kind of um, a bit more of a, a cultural perspective. And this is what's given rise to some of the success of brands like, you know, Cookies and Jungle Boys, um, who have gone into very heavily dominated MSO markets and, um, you know, seen some immediate traction. We see their, um, you know, their brands spike up in terms of, you know, brand awareness, brand loyalty, um, you know, favorite dispensaries, you know, a lot of those, you know, loyalty metrics there, a lot of those, you know, strong consumer um, reaction um, there um, because they've kind of haven't tried to go the sanitized route. They have tried to really, you know, connect with, um, you know, some um, various segments of consumers and, you know, really make this uh, resonate with them. That's interesting. So you're saying two thirds of consumers are now daily users. And you're, are you also seeing that the majority of that within the two thirds is that younger millennial Gen Z um, group? Or are we, is that accurate? Or are we starting to see that also increase in older folks as far as daily use? Yeah, so we're seeing that um, tick up in terms of um, really across the spectrum. Um, we're seeing that tick up, that daily usage tick up. Um, but younger consumers certainly um, are a, a larger percentage of the, the population as well. Okay, that makes sense. All right, so then let's talk about brand health a little bit. I know you've been studying this for a few years. We actually had a great presentation from Claire Kaufman last year about brand health that I've cited over the last 12 and a half months um, repeatedly. So can you tell me a little bit about, just speak to it. What is the study? What are you tracking and what have you seen? 
Yeah. So brand health is an incredible tool for marketers to really understand, you know, how you're resonating with consumers and how this compares vis-a-vis, um, you know, your competition. So a lot of our clients will use it, use this to help really diagnose what problems they're trying to solve for. Right. Um, and the way that the study works is, um, you know, you'll field on what you'll ask consumers. Okay. What brands are you aware of? Of those brands that you're aware of, which ones would you consider purchasing? Which of those that you would consider purchasing, which will you go on to purchase? And which will you intend to repurchase? Uh, this gives you this, this nice kind of funnel, you know, your purchase funnel that allows you to understand, okay, first of all, do you have an awareness problem, right? Um, do people know who you are? If no one knows who you are, if your consumers don't know who you are, you're going to have a really hard time getting them to, um, you know, driving loyalty or driving success for your brand. And you may need to be pouring your money into top of the funnel marketing efforts, right? Um, if people are aware of you, but they aren't going to consider purchasing you, this really means that you know, your message isn't landing, right? Um, you know, we see, you know, this is a, a good gauge. You know, we oftentimes see with celebrity brands, for example, you'll get very high awareness, but, you know, if it, there's a lack of authenticity there, they're not, you know, those consumers aren't going to go on and um, consider purchasing them. It's like, okay, yes, I've heard of that, but eh, next, right? Not going to happen. Um, if your consideration to purchase is low, that usually means you're, you know, you're losing at shelf, right? Um, you know, is that you may want to be investing in bud tender education. You may need, may need to be, you know, looking at your, you know, in-store activations or your pricing strategy, or if it's a digital, um, you know, focus, you know, then, you know, your e-commerce and, you know, the, your websites and things like that. Um, but really kind of getting that, you know, those barriers to purchase, um, as well as really understanding kind of that feedback on the product or, you know, feedback on um, the same funnels work for dispensaries um, and through the retail channel that, you know, consumer reaction to your, um, you know, to your um, experience, um, are they going to shop there again? Are they going to buy your product again and why, right? Um, so this gives you an incredible toolkit to be able to really understand how, how brands are competing against each other, as well as to really understand who is your consumer, you know, as a marketer, you know, you will have have in your mind who you're trying to target, you know, who is your segment, who is that persona of consumers that you're trying to target, um, or your different, you know, um, personas, are you hitting them? You know, we have oftentimes seen with, uh, with brands that they'll think that they're targeting, you know, suburban moms, and then it'll come back. And it's like, actually, you've got Gen X men as, you know, <laughs> or like, you think you're targeting, you know, these, you know, trendy enthusiasts, or you think you're, you know, targeting a certain, you know, persona of, um, you know, of, uh, of consumer. And what comes back is like, eh, nope, you're not resonating with those. That message isn't landing with those, but is actually resonating over here. So that's a, you know, a great way to be able to understand like, okay, do I need to refine my message to go after my core or do I need to, you know, really look at, you know, a different angle and target, you know, lean into where I'm, I'm most successful and understand why. Um, so, you know, the, these are incredibly rich um, toolkits and we've been doing this in, we first launched um, a syndicated brand health tracker in um, the CBD space and the Canadian cannabis space uh, back in 20, um, 2019, um, early 2020. Um, and the, you'll remember Lisa in that last year we did a, um, you know, a report, like a, um, an individual report on the California and Colorado market, yeah. um, in, um, in the U S cannabis space running this, obviously in the, the U S space, since we've got every category as its own competitive set, every, you know, has its own brands, every state has its own brands. It's a more complicated thing to syndicate. Um, but we found by working with, you know, we've done a great deal of work on a customized basis um, in um, brand health tracking with many of the top, you know, MSOs, portfolios of brands, as well as, you know, individual brands, um, you know, in the U.S. market um, over the last year and a half and found that it was it was time. Right. It was really time to be able to, to roll out a, a syndicated brand health tracker um, within the U.S. Um, cannabis space. Um, so that's where we've really been focused um, and what we're rolling out here in Q4. So uh, we uh, just last month rolled out our retail brand health tracker. So we've got data on about the top 10 markets or so in the around the country to really understand how these retail brands are measuring up against each other and what consumers have to say about them. And then, you know, coming out 
out here next month. We're so excited. Um, survey is about to come out of the field um, on um, product brand health. Um, again, in about um, the, the top 12 markets um, around the country, category by category by category, um, you know, how each brand is really um, measuring up against the competition um, and in the minds, um, hearts and minds of the consumer um, in the cannabis space as well. And I remember from last year's presentation when Claire talked about this study, uh, and I spoke about it, at, I cited it heavily at BizCon last year, but what I remember from the big takeaways were that consumers are brand loyal, and for a lot of brands, if they had that top of funnel awareness, there was actually quite high conversion down the funnel. Has that, first of all, am I citing that correctly? And it, has that changed? Yeah. So, you know, I think you're, you're spot on in a lot of ways. And we found when looking at that first study in, in California, for example, that consumers were overwhelmingly satisfied with the products that were in the market, which essentially that means there's a lot of really good weed in California. Yeah. Um, so from a product standpoint, it's great. So what that means as a marketer is, okay, you're not going to be able to differentiate a lot on your actual products. Like you can have your, you know, your nuances, your attributes around it, but generally to consumers, it's all pretty good. Right. Um, so beyond that, how do you resonate with those consumers? You know, who is actually winning? And that's where, you know, where the job of the marketers is becoming more and more important in cannabis. That's what really differentiates. And what we have found, you know, and this is even accelerated um, since the first study we did is that, you know, brands are starting to matter to consumers, both in these, you know, really, um, you know, some of the more mature markets like, you know, Colorado and California, but even some more of the, you know, the newer markets as they open up, brands do matter to consumers. They are, um, you know, a big differentiating point um, that is, you know, really key in their decision making. And they are starting to, you know, develop these loyalty. Now, in some markets, the loyalties are very strong. Um, and, you know, in some markets, these loyalties are a lot weaker. And, you know, there's nuances to, to each market that can help, um, you know, contribute to this. Um, but these are starting, you know, what we do see is that you know, there's a lot of intent to repurchase. There's a lot of, you know, willingness to repurchase. Um, but those loyalties aren't so firm, you know, right now that there's still a lot of movement or it's a, it's really the right time to try to shape those consumer loyalties before they do become too solidified, right? Um, the markets, you know, are, are continue to shift and continue to um, adjust. So, you know, brands, there's certainly no space in cannabis for trying to sit back and rest on your laurels. You'll have to really kind of fight and claw for that consumer loyalty. And now is the time that you really have to um, get that solidified as the market continues to grow and these, you know, loyalties become firmer and firmer. And have you seen any strategies that work for loyalty? And I, I mean it in context to, you had mentioned the example of, oh, okay, I think my brand is appealing to suburban moms, but it's actually Gen X men. Mm -hmm. When you work with a brand or see an insight like that, have you seen them shift their strategy in a way where like, maybe they're saying, okay, well, this works for Gen X men. So let's just own that and double down mm -hmm. or actually um, mm -hmm. we wanted to go after uh, suburban moms. So let's shift our strategy and appeal to them. Like, are you seeing any strategies work to, based on these insights where they're shifting either their messaging or maybe, mm -hmm. maybe it's out of scope as far as what you do with Brightfield group, but like, are you seeing anything where that intent to repurchase and that loyalty is starting to really connect or is it still a little bit shifty at this point? No, absolutely. You know, I think when we when it's very interesting when brands will do their first brand health read and it's like, okay, all of a sudden there's all of this information about their brands and then, okay, what do we do with this now? Right. Um, okay. So we've got, you know, we wanted to target this brand, you know, this consumer segment, um, then it's time, but we're off the mark in this way. First of all, you want to look at, do you want to target that consumer segment? What is the size of that consumer? You know, what is the, you know, the power of that consumer versus, you know, other areas, right. Um, you know, so, Okay, based off of the size, based off of the opportunity, these are the ones that we want to target, we want to be all in on. Okay, 
what is it that we're doing? What is it that we're saying that's resonating with those consumers or that or not, right? What is it that they say about us? What are those attributes? What is those, you know, that satisfaction? Um, being able to look at, you know, look at some of those ins and outs. Look at, you know, who are the brands that are resonating with that target consumer? This is a really good illuminating way. If I know that I'm not heading my consumer segment very well, who is? And then we can take a look at what they're doing. Um, but there's also then this ability to, to look back at all the tools that you have in your arsenal, you know, as a marketer to really understand, okay, when I'm putting out my, you know, on my packaging, am I talking about the things that matter to these consumers? You know, am I looking at my, you know, does my logo, um, you know, does this connect with my consumer? If, you know, they're most interested, you know, looking at their kind of lifestyles around um, and attitudes towards wellness, am I highlighting the right things on my packaging? When I'm doing social, um, you know, is my message resonating in the right way, right? Am I talking about the things that actually matter to them? What does matter to these consumers and how do I align with that? Um, you know, how do I talk to them in their own voice? And this is where, you know, our, you know, our clients like to use both the brand health um, you know, toolkit, but then be able to zoom into our consumer portals to understand, you know, the social footprint, you know, the, the language, the way people talk, what they follow, um, you know, the, you know, a lot of those more kind of qualitative lifestyle, you know, types of areas to really get into the mindset of their consumers um, and be able to, you know, meld that, you know, creative into, um, you know, into um, really kind of target and zoom in in those consumers. Sometimes it impacts, you know, um, product decisions. Um, those are obviously a longer, you know, as a marketer, you may be able to influence those, but, you know, those may be out of your control. Um, but making sure that your, you know, product portfolio is targeting, you know, the right people um, as well. If you're looking at line extensions, does it make sense to roll out, you know, if you're targeting X, Y, and Z consumer, if they don't use vapes, does it make sense to target vapes? Does it make sense? Cannabis drinks are the, you know, the, the biggest example I always find where yeah. the consumer oftentimes People have this fallacy about who the the cannabis drinks consumer is, but it really isn't that consumer. Right? The data shows us it's something different. So, you know, those kinds of areas, it you know, it really allows you to you know, zoom in and kind of rethink and like be able to tinker with and adjust your strategy, um, you know, in a way that um, um, is you know either incremental or kind of going back to the drawing board on different areas. Can we talk about drinks for a little bit? Because yeah. I I know on a industry level drinks was one of those things in the last few years there was a lot of excitement of there was a lot of predictions that it was going to be um i think a bigger part of the market than it mm -hmm. actually has played out to be have have you seen that and can you speak to you had said you know we we thought this is who the consumer was but it turns out it, it's someone else yeah Tell well, me. You know, <laughs> on in the space you, you heard all of the ceos of big companies you know look commenting that this was going to cannabis drinks was going to be the thing that transformed the cannabis space and that this was going to be an alcohol substitute. This was going to be something that people would be able to bring to a barbecue, um, you know, with your grandma, right? Um, this is going to be something that really appeals to, to new consumers. Um, and it was going to kind of just transform and open up this, you know, this whole additional segment um, of the market. And we saw a lot of brands that were kind of buying into that idea, trying to target the white claw consumer, trying to target those newbies. Um, and yet today, you know, cannabis drinks makes up what less than 2% of the market, um, despite a lot of money being poured into it. Um, and, you know, a lot of R and D, you know, that went into it in the Canadian market as well, where it is legal and the big, you know, the big Alcabev players have been able to play. It's still a very small percentage of the market there as well. So you get the question of, okay, after years and years of this conversation, okay, what what's going on here, right? And what we see when we look at, you know, the actual data is that there's so many, um, there's so much that consumers are, or so many people were expecting this to be the entry point for new consumers. They were expecting these, um, you know, people who would never inhale cannabis, wouldn't touch cannabis, you know, previously, wouldn't think about flour, wouldn't think about vapes. They would be attracted to drinks because this is a familiar format for them, right? 
And when we look at the data on who the actual cannabis consumer is, that's not who the consumer is today. <laughs> that's just not who is resonating with it. We actually found in our most recent survey that almost 19% of all cannabis consumers had used a drink, a cannabis drink in the past six months. Now, when we look at some of that data, you know, those, the consumers that are actually using drinks are not the occasional users. They're actually the very heavy cannabis consumers. And you kind of stop and pause and you're saying, okay, so if heavy cannabis consumers are using these products and there's, you know, 19% of consumers have used these products, why is the market still so small? And it's because they're not using them every day. This isn't the only thing that they use. You know, for cannabis consumers, for heavy cannabis consumers, you know, if you're using every day or if you're using multiple times a day, you don't want to do the exact same thing every single time, every single day. Uh, it's like, you know, if you're a non-alcoholic drinks consumer, you're not just going to drink Coca-Cola seven times a day, every day for, you know, the rest of your life. You, you're going to vary it up a little bit. You'll have a coffee, you'll have some water, you'll have some, you know, a Coke for dinner, you'll have different, you know, types of, you know, products um, to give some spice into your routine, some variety into your routine. You know, you want to have more, um, you know, have more interesting products to, you know, interject in there. So cannabis drinks are, are products that people are interested in, a very large percentage of consumers are interested in those products. They're using their products occasionally. Now, the most you know, what the data shows us is that the, the fastest path towards growth in uh, cannabis drinks is not to spend a lot of money targeting those consumers who might possibly think about using cannabis one day. And if so, maybe get them to use, you know, cannabis drinks. Those consumers, their first entry point, what we see in data is actually gummies. They're not, they're not trying cannabis drinks yet. Um, and, you know, if you're the fastest path is to get these consumers that are already spending a lot of money on cannabis on a monthly basis, many of them $200 a month plus on cannabis, get them to get more occasions of consumption out of those consumers, right? Um, so this is one of those areas where, you know, you see a bit of a disconnect between kind of conventional wisdom or a lot of people that were, you know, thinking and kind of trying to project what the, the world could look like. Now we have enough data on how the market has started to evolve that you don't need to kind of totally start from a blank page and imagine. You can see what, you know, what has started to work and really understand why and be able to, you know, to target, you know, effectively that way. And this is why we see, you know, different, um, you know, different types of brands successful in different ways, you know, in the cannabis drink space. Um, but also, you know, again, a lot of, um, there's still a lot of opportunity in that space that 18, you know, 19% of consumers using indicates there's, there's a lot more opportunity there. Um, but it's just not being captured, you know, because of a lot of, um, a lot of money being left on the table from, um, you know, a, a positioning standpoint. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. And I, I think, uh, been talking about this recently and drinks, this phenomenon, I think applies. It can, sometimes we fall into this like big shiny object, mm -hmm. um, mentality. I know it happened, you know, from a marketing strategy perspective with like crypto and web three and the metaverse. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's the big shiny object or it's what we yeah. want to try and we get excited about it as marketers often because we we have certain restrictions and we want to be ahead and we want to mm -hmm. understand what's there but sort of over reliance on that and some of that hype and that talk can prevent folks from really doubling down on what we know what we have and what's working and really like tightening that and you know what i call it marketing like patching the leaks um yeah. where we can get sort of this over investment in the new in the shiny and then it's like okay if that mm -hmm. doesn't play out if you win great but if it doesn't play out you're kind of back to square one so right. sort of balancing um the language you've used as well, which we talk about is like the tools you have in your toolkit. What are you putting yeah. towards what you know works, what data you have and the facts, and then what are you putting towards kind of the shinier things that might might or may not play out um, and, you know, putting it all together as far as the, the strategy and, and bigger picture. So thank you for bringing some light to the beverage conversation. I've been doing some research on that as well, um, but you just, you you articulated it so nicely. 
Absolutely. Definitely. It definitely clarifies the point that you always need to pressure test your assumptions Mm -hmm. and, you know, be open to being wrong about an idea, right? You know, if you're blue skying something, um, you know, you want to be able to think big, you want to be able to, to see, you know, go into the future and be able to, to look outside of the box. We also want to reality check yourself um, and be able to look at what, you know, what the data is telling you and be prepared to say, "Mm, maybe not, or like, you know, the data is actually telling a, a different story. There may be something there because if conventional wisdom is wrong, that's actually a really big opportunity for you, right? If the whole part, and this is something we've seen in cannabis, this is definitely something we've seen in CBD also, where, you know, you get apparently, you know, this, this shiny object and the whole market moves this way. Mm -hmm. And if there's actually a tack that you can find in, you know, where conventional wisdom is wrong and you go here when everyone's going here, that's by far the biggest opportunity rather than following the pack, you know, into off a cliff. Right. Yes. Yes. <laughs> we, we know about that as an industry for sure. <laughs> um, so what are things you, fo- so based on data in the story that it's telling, what are some things you find yourself advising your clients or telling marketers like over and over again? Like what's that sort of pay attention to this. Don't forget this. In addition to pressure test your assumptions, is there anything that the data is saying that may not be, that you haven't mentioned already, that may not be so obvious that is really sort of core to a cannabis marketer's understanding of what's happening? Yeah. So always check on, you know, keep, keep, the ability to zoom up and zoom out at like the fundamentals and understand how the market is shifting. Cannabis, even though we're, you know, here years and years, seven years into, since we started as a company, but, you know, um, eight years into legalization here, the cannabis consumer changes so quickly and, you know, their attitudes change quickly. Their, what's important to them changes quickly. You really need to be able to keep uh, that like deep, understanding of like what's important to them and you know that even just the face of the cannabis consumer and how that's shifting in the back of your mind with all things that you do right um if you understand that okay this market may be growing but it's small i'm going to keep this in the back of my mind for the future or you know this is something that you know has come up and is um you know is kind of changing the face of the the consumer with cannabis because things move so quickly if you're two quarters behind and it takes you you know another quarter to, to be able to activate, if you fall behind on trends, you could be, um, quite far behind, um, by the time, you know, you need to make an adjustment and then it's really, it's a lot harder to kind of catch back up, you know, from there. So being able to really kind of keep the, keep a beat on, you know, both the demographic, but also, you know, and the, you know, a lot of the, the segmentation side of things, um, but also really like what's important to consumers and how much that changes, um, over time. Cause it'll really impact the way that you talk to consumers, the, you know, your messaging, as well as really who you're targeting. Um, the thing that we always hit on, you know, consistently, consistently, consistently is know your consumer, know them. You need to know them very, you know, deep at their core. You need to have, you know, that kind of cold in your mind. Um, and you need to, you know, be able to not try to be everything to everyone. You know, you may want to have different brands that are targeting different segments and, you know, you may want to, you know, be thinking about the, the market through, um, you know, through that lens, you know, this may be your brand for really cultural users or heavy users. This may be your brand for, you know, consumers that, um, this is their dirty little secret, but they're using at night. And, you know, this is kind of that, that approach. This may be, you know, the brand that is, um, for consumers that are just looking for, um, you know, cheap, reliable, um, you know, uh, budget cannabis, but, you know, are, it's an important part of their identity. You know, you, you may need to have different, you know, segments of um, consumers and, you know, but you have to have that full picture of who they are and um, to be able to really resonate with them and to be able to stay ahead of the curve. You can't just compete on packaging. Pretty packaging isn't really enough, um, you know, and um, just, you know, straight demographics isn't enough. Um, You know, you have to be able to to really understand. And if you can understand, then you can stay ahead of the curve. And that's what's going to make that that loyalty with those consumers much more sticky. And do you have advice for marketers who 
you know, so there's this balance of understanding the consumer and tailoring your message to them, but also finding, you know, your, who you are as a brand, what is your, your core? What is your niche? What is your, um, you know, I've seen brands that were, you know, they, they were founded by, there's one in particular I'm thinking about that was founded by surfers in California. And they made mm-hmm. this brand particularly to apply to that group. Like, what is that balance of, okay, this is who we are, you know, we're with startups it's startup industry with startup mm-hmm. businesses. This is who we are. This is our story. This is who we're appealing to but also marrying that with the changing habits of the consumer. And we, we talk about authenticity and trust a lot in this space. How does a brand do that? How do you say, okay, this is who we are and this is what we do and who we're appealing to, but also recognize that the consumer is shifting, these behaviors are shifting and your messaging may need to shift and, and do it in a way that remains authentic. Yeah, that's definitely the challenge. I think you're, you know, hitting the nail on the head there. And it's like, you know, you have to be able to to see again, how well are you resonating with consumers? How strong is that loyalty that you've developed? And who else are they buying? What other brands do they love? What other brands do they care about? So you can watch kind of your, you know, your back from that lens, right? Um, especially for startups, as that loyalty is not fully developed yet. Um, and many cannabis consumers, as we had talked about, they use their frequent users, they use every day, they are using multiple times a day, they're using a lot of different products and formats it's very hard to, you know, pin them down. If you're putting all of your eggs in a very narrow, you know, consumer basket, um, you know, so narrow that it's California surfers, you know, you're going to have to be able to, um, you know, really find ways to protect your base. How can you go deeper with that consumer? You know, how can you maximize the opportunity with that specific consumer and how can you extend your base to be able to grow as a company, right? Um, You know, do you want to roll out more products for that specific consumer and really kind of lean in? Do you want to make that brand appeal to, you know, as like an aspirational brand to other adjacent, you know, consumer segments? Where can you see kind of the, you know, the appeal um, for other adjacent consumers that will allow you to kind of grow your base and grow your, you know, your footprint there? Or how do you, you know, target, you know, either line extensions or complementary brands towards, you know, other areas? Because, you know, once you get a little bit of success in a cannabis space, everybody's a startup. You got it. You got to hit your growth numbers, right? You know, you got to keep growing and growing and growing. Um, so how do you grow in a way that, you know, allows you to, to be authentic? And that's, you have to keep kind of that consumer in mind as a marketer. You need to be able to have that message constantly going out. Social is a great way to kind of keep in touch with that consumer, you know, in especially with small, you know, small brands that are hyper local, being able to you know, there's a lot of restrictions on cannabis marketers. So you have to kind of think outside the box on things, you know, and um, local events or, you know, different uh, local, like hyper-focused ways to be able to, to really resonate with consumers. Investing in bud tender education, especially if you have a, um, you know, a, a very, if you're focused on authenticity, if you have, are trying to grow your brand um, and get kind of the, um, get drive trial and extend some of the halo of your brand, um, bud tender education is so important because um, that'll help drive that that conversion from kind of that consideration into loyalty. Um, and all of those things are, you know, things that you can do as a, a small brand, um, you know, targeted at, um, you know, a, a maybe a single state or a single, you know, region even. Um, but you really need to, to kind of keep those loops going, watch your back in terms of who's kind of coming after um, you, and then be able to find those ways to grow your consumer base once you've saturated where you are. And lastly, is there any data that you've seen that's been total outlier, like any information that you're like, wow, we really just did not see this one coming. Um, That's important to this conversation. Ooh, that's a great question. We always, uh, there's always these, you know, little things that pop up and you're like, wow, that is just fascinating. I think, um, you know, there's so much, uh, oftentimes in cannabis, people are so focused on the category itself that they kind of don't look at what's happening outside. And I think um, one of the sleeping giants that has been coming up and is starting to create a lot of, you know, disruptions um, in the space. And if 
isn't on the top of marketers' minds right now, it should be, is this like battle with the hemp-derived THC market, which has just kind of come out of nowhere over the last, you know, 18 months. And you've got this Delta 8 everywhere, this Delta 9 everywhere. Um, You know, CBD used to be something that was positioned largely for, um, you know, people who wouldn't touch cannabis with a 10-foot pole, but this was, you know, CBD, this was different. Now we find that more than 70% of the um, hemp-derived CBD consumers are also using THC. Um, there's, you know, so there's a lot of overlap with, you know, the, um, with CBD and the legal cannabis space. Um, there's a very, um, large and growing percentage of consumers that are using, um, you know, Delta eight in this, um, hemp derived, you know, THC market. This is going to be about half the size of the CB hemp derived CBD market this year. Um, and those are really direct competitors to, um, you know, to cannabis and oftentimes much more, um, you know, much cheaper than cannabis products in legal states. Um, so some of the, you know, the data around, um, you know, Delta 8 and, um, you know, the the Deltas and the hemp-derived THC market has been really eye-opening and just this whole complete transformation of, you know, the hemp-derived THC consumer and how it's impacting, um, as well as the opportunities with kind of that overlap in the, um, the uh, THC market that um, is really, really interesting. Um, also, just these, some of these shifts, you know, around consumers that are buying things online or, um, you know, shopping online, the e-commerce experience, you know, in the digital space has just plummeted. Um, And, you know, in CBD, we found this dropped from 50% of consumers buying their products online to 20% of consumers buying their products online over the course of like four quarters. Um, So it's just plummeted and that has significant impact for digital marketing because if you post pandemic, like, do you think that was fine? Yeah. So, you know, it, it spiked, uh, you know, consumer behavior spiked towards digital when the pandemic hit, obviously, you know, people were standing at home. Um, there was a lot of, um, projections. Well, e-com is really sticky. A lot of people are, you know, a lot of these habits are really going to stick. People are going to, you know, continue to, you know, purchase this way. Um, and we've seen at this point, nope, everybody wants to go back to normal. And it's like, yeah, falling off a cliff, just tanked. And, you know, that's impacting, you know, that's impacting these categories, but it's also, you know, contributing to a lot of what we see with some of the ad revenues in, um, you know, social media platforms and, you know, digital marketing overall, if your consumer is no longer sitting, you know, during the pandemic, you were never going to get a more captive consumer than, you know, <laughs> than yeah. we had at that time you don't get that captive consumer anymore. So, you know, what this means is, you know, as a marketer, you need to rethink kind of your allocation. We saw a lot of people cut all of their brick and mortar sales team and pour all that money into digital advertising in 21, um, you know, tw- end of 2021. Now those dynamics are all shifting. People want to be out in real life again. You need to completely rethink your marketing budget and how much you're putting towards events, how much you're putting towards in-store activations, how much you're putting towards kind of in, um, you know, getting in front of, you know, physically in front of that consumer rather than, you know, digitally in front of that consumer, um, you know, and, you know, and how that impacts your efforts. That's awesome, Bethany. I really appreciate you sharing all this data and insight. It has been very eye-opening and really adds to the conversation about cannabis marketing. So Mm -hmm. you have any contact information you want to share as far as Brightfield Group, website, social, or yourself uh, with our audience so they can get a hold of you guys? Absolutely. Well, check out our website at brightfieldgroup.com. We have, if you want to get a taste of some of the the types of insights that we have, um, we have a great deal of um, free reports that are on the site. So go ahead and check those out. Um, You know, you can reach us at marketing at brightfieldgroup.com or feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, Always like to, always like to chat with uh, cannabis marketers. Awesome. Thank you so much, Bethany. It's been a pleasure chatting with you today. Absolutely. Thanks, Lisa. Interested in connecting with our guest experts? Join CMA at thecannabismarketingassociation.com and get exclusive access to our member content, including our bi-monthly webinars, Slack channel, and networking events. You can also sign up for our newsletter with free resources on our homepage. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. We'll see you next time.